were, was it the band Inside Out led by Zach De La Roca before he was in Rage Against Holy the Machine? Smokes. No, I never heard that. Yeah. Pretty good. It, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good hardcore. They only huh. made like one six song EP. Wow. Yeah. That was Inside uh, Out. <laughs> that, that that sounds like a real song. I was trying to sing, I think there's a maybe a Donna Summer song or something. Upside oh, down. Oh, okay. Something like that. I thought maybe you were going to say Adonis song. Oh, no. <laughs> An Adonis song. Adonis. I only listen to musicians that are real Adonises. Like, Adonises. Like uh, Peter Steele and Danzig and Henry Rollins. You know? I need some bulk. <laughs> Yeah, and there's nobody. I as need bulky. some muscle behind my music. There's, there's nobody as bulky as Glenn Danzig. Oh man, he's the best. of underground bands and <laughs> music and all kinds of cool stuff and uh, i am sorry i have that written down somewhere but i forgot to bring it ah. <laughs> we'll go with that for 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 now <laughs> we interview all kinds of uh bands and stuff I yes, like we inter- it. it's solid interview, interview all <laughs> kinds of bands and stuff we interview records and review people and uh <laughs> You know, we talked about doing that, actually. We talked about maybe reviewing our friends. Yeah. And uh, maybe we should actually interview a couple records, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just to, you know, see see how they're doing in life, you know? We could interview Danzig's first record. Okay. So what did it feel like being... uh, Yeah, what did it feel like being mastered? <laughs> you know, uh, being mastered by Danzig is actually my fantasy. Oh! Yes, mastered by Danzig. Uh, so, um, uh, Eric, wow. yes, I need you, and I, I mentioned this to you. Mm-hmm. I need you to be my dream interpreter again today. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. All right. I got my pad and paper like a real psychotherapist. Are they called psychotherapists? The ones I don't think they are anymore. (laughs) Maybe maybe they're called dream, uh, the dream doctors. Uh, You know, I think that is what it it is. Dream doctors. So this this dream that I had, uh, this was Mm -hmm. a couple nights ago, and Mm -hmm. I already sent it to four of our uh, friends. Hmm. who um, are in the band Closet Witch. Oh. And there's a reason why I sent it to the four members of Closet Witch. Okay. Um, That being, of course, Alex, Corey, Molly, and Royce. And it's because I had a dream that my band, my current band, Abnormal Man, played with Closet Witch Mm -hmm. at a comic book store in Las Vegas. Uh Uh-huh. We were all set up in different parts of the comic book store. 
<laughs> so oh, it was like, okay. like, it was really weird. It was like, so I was in this part and then like, I don't know, like I was looking at like Corey or somebody or one of the members of closet, which across mm-hmm. from me, but mm-hmm. then like Jeff, the drummer of my band was in like mm-hmm. another room playing drums. And somehow we were all like, you know, in sync it was like, okay, really strange. But at the same time, while we were doing this, we were also looking through comic books. And mm-hmm. you know, none of this made any sense, you know, at yeah. all. But anyway, <clears throat> then all of a sudden, there was a um, point in time where it was time for us to leave because my dad came in and said, okay, guys, time to go. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we all left with our heads down and all like, and just being like really mad. Like there was just this huge feeling of like sadness and anger, like, hmm. and then I woke up and Sad, that was sadness and anger, sadness, okay. anger. huge feeling of sadness and anger. Okay. Huge feeling of sadness and anger. So that's mm. the parts mm-hmm. that I remember of the And it was in Las Vegas. How do you and know? And it was in it Las was in, Vegas. How do you which know it is, was in Las Vegas? Because for some reason it it just was like I don't know. Like in, at least at least in my mind for whatever reason I I was in Las Vegas. Like mm-hmm. I and and it didn't I don't think it really looked like Las Vegas. I don't I didn't see any casinos. Mm. But for some reason Las Vegas was in my mind as to where we are it was very strange Hmm. now i have my theory on what maybe this dream is kind of meaning Mm -hmm. um but i want to hear your take on it there all right my take after all you're the you're the dream doctor yeah that's my official title um okay i think let me look at all these parts okay so this has something to do. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Ooh, the mesh shirt. Oh, the big big metal cross neck. Let oh. me pretend that I'm paying attention to Oh, you. the Danzig's called belt buckle. <laughs> I love this picture. Oh, covered in blood. Oh, that's Sam Hain era. Um Google image Danzig <laughs> shirt. No shirt. <laughs> okay, so this sounds like oh, you're commanding God. somebody to do something. Yeah, I'm I'm making AI art. Peter Steele <laughs> wrestling dancing. <laughs> this has to do with adolescence. Okay. It has to do with opportunities taken away by society and mm-hmm. uh, the world, defying that and taking a risk. That's why it's in Las Vegas. It's a gamble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're playing in sync, and you're in different rooms. So I think that means even though you are playing in different bands, you feel connected, still connected to Closet Witch, hmm. and still a part of um, what they're doing. Um, hmm. The comics, I think that just kind of represents that adolescence element. Um, yeah. Huge feeling of sadness and anger uh, probably has to do with getting older and uh, maybe seeing opportunities lost. But, you know, I also think that the fact that um, it's in Las Vegas means that, you know, 
these uh, successes could still uh, be found. I don't know. Something to do with that. Something to do with your band being connected with Closet Witch and you personally being connected with them. Yeah. But also feeling like, um, yeah, maybe maybe directed in a way you didn't necessarily want to go by authority or society. I don't know. That's that's what I'm coming up with. Okay. And so my interpretation is not too far off from yours. There are mm-hmm. some slight differences in how I kind of thought about it. Mm-hmm. So as far as the <clears throat> anger and sadness goes, yes, an element for sure of sadness and turmoil created by the way society is mm-hmm. what i think that is is that closet witch 100 i i am connected to closet witch in a lot of ways um but one of the things that i messaged them about and this is the first thing that i thought of was it's time for me to go and see closet witch live or just mm-hmm. go see some live music period and it's interesting because there's that Closet Witch show coming up mm-hmm. that yeah. I talked to you about. Right. And I'm planning mm-hmm. on doing that. So I think that cool. me reconnecting with Closet Witch because I haven't I I haven't really seen um them since the pandemic, which I think the pandemic is what represents the society changing element of it. As far as the adolescence thing goes, Mm -hmm. now, the only thing that I would say coincides with that definitely is the fact that my dad came in Mm -hmm. um, and said it's time to go. Uh, Mm -hmm. So then there's that. But the comic book element, here's what I think the comic book element is. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been, as you know, really into zine and comic book culture. Mm -hmm. And lately, uh, the pandemic is what really drove me. So I have a bunch of indie comics, and I've actually been uh, eager to share what I've discovered with a lot of my friends who I haven't, you know, really been able to hang out with. Mm -hmm. Um, And those friends include, you know, Corey and Molly specifically, because I know Mm -hmm. they're always into that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, sure. And so I think that that's an element there. Mm. As far as like the missed opportunities thing goes, it, you know, I think, I think just maybe the way that the pandemic has affected everyone, Mm -hmm. I've been kind of thinking about that a lot lately. So like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, there is an element of like, I miss my friends. And that's why, like, I'm just sort of like, Mm -hmm. okay, now I am going to go and go to the show because why wouldn't I, I haven't seen a show. I haven't seen closet witch in years, let alone a show period in years. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think there's also an element of like, when you're talking about taking risks, yeah, like, I think that's sort of like, okay, now it's time for me to, come out of my shell that I've kind of been in. Yeah. And uh, that is kind of taking a risk because it's like, okay, well, what's going to be like going to a show now? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the crux of the dream, the the main point is probably it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the interesting, interesting interpretations. Anyway, I wanted to share that with you because I yeah. thought that that was a very, very interesting dream that I had. Nice. Good job, Danny. 
<laughs> Greetings, citizens of Earth. <laughs> Greetings. Welcome to Accelerative Thrust, where we analyze your dreams. Yes. Please uh, send us your dreams, and we will interpret them and also uh, give you advice on how to proceed with your uh, life <laughs> based yes. on those dreams. And precaution, you should listen to nobody else on the internet except us. I mean, you can, but it's only going to confuse things. So you might as well <laughs> do it. Yeah. Because how can it get any more confusing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to keep the confusion we provide. You don't you know wanna... that <laughs> that could be a slogan or accelerative thrust. You might as well do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> It's like the Nike slogan, but shitty. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Might as well do it. Swoosh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just got a virus in my lungs from laughing so hard. The Nike slogan, yeah. but shitty. That yeah. was good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, you know what's not shitty, though? Huh. Uh, listening to records. That's, That's pretty true. cool. That's, Don't you I think? I yeah, I like it. It's it's all right. I mean <laughs> listening to yeah. listening to music. Music and cool. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I, that's all. I was just gonna say music's cool. Today's uh, episode is gonna be kind of uh there's gonna be a little curveball thrown in here as we are going to kind of start doing single reviews in addition to our album reviews as well. So yeah, just a little single. Just just a little single, or in this case, it's it's really just one song. I don't know if it's actually if they considered a single, but there's this band that reached out to us and uh, we decided to listen to their track. And we're just going to talk about it a little bit after our album reviews here. And um, okay. Wow. Okay. Let's get to these goddamn <laughs> records. <laughs> All right. Come on, everybody. It's record time. Okay. So my pick for this episode is the new Brainiac. Yeah, you heard me. The new Brainiac. So it's an EP. It's called The Predator Nominate. It came out just now, um, like just a few days ago. And it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's interesting. So I love Brainiac. I mean, love Brainiac. Like they're one of my favorite things. They're one of those groups that it feels like came out of nowhere with just a really kind of fully developed idea of what they wanted to be. It had elements of other things that existed for sure, but not in the way they did it, not with the same energy and weirdness. And at the time I had a band that was heavily reliant on synthesizers and it was not a popular thing. Like I can think of maybe six bands in 1992, six 97 that relied heavily on synthesizers and were doing interesting and cool things you know so they definitely fit in with those things and and were a huge influence on me had a big impact so yeah anyway brainiac i love them so what this is these are the demos that were made for their major label debut which would have happened in probably about 1997, but Tim Taylor, the singer, and I think, yeah, main songwriter, died in a car crash. And if you want 
to know more of the story of Brainiac, there's a really good uh, documentary out there. I can't remember what it's called, but so yeah, let's get to the EP uh, that they released. So I don't know. I, I want to say, wow, it blew me away and this is amazing. And I'm so glad they put it out. And this really showed me what they were going to be like, but that wasn't really the feeling I walked away from it with. It felt more like uh, if you were sort of a completist, right? And you wanted to know what Tim Taylor was working on before he died. And you just wanted to know that for your own knowledge. Uh, then this is an invaluable release. It, it's a big deal and it's cool. But to me, the songs feel really unrealized, which... I know that these are demos, right? And that's how demos work. That's why you make demos. But for the most part, it really seems like the earliest stages of these songs, like just, uh, you know, like a fake drum beat or whatever. And then maybe some guitar, maybe a synth over it a little bit, and maybe the outline for the words and melodies and stuff like that. And so it leaves me feeling like I don't know if these are how Brainiac demos always worked and this is what they brought into the studio to work with, or if, you know, in the past they had uh, worked out more elements of these songs before going into the studio. I don't really know. But for me, what makes the Brainiac releases that we do have, what I liked about it was just they were so wild. And the instrumentation was crazy. The arrangements were surprising. Like, uh, yeah, like the first time I heard Brainiac, I was like literally shocked by it. It was just like, well, not literally shocked, you know what I mean? But I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And most of that was due to the arrangements, the instrumentation, just the wildness of the whole thing. It was like, it sounded like, they captured a wild animal somehow. That's how it felt to me when I first heard them. This, on the other hand, doesn't have a lot of that. It has a lot of uh, playing the song through. That's what it sounds like. And the songs themselves, they're sort of missing that wild element too. They seem more like some of those kind of slow-moving, thick, atmospheric, heavy Brainiac songs, if that makes any sense. Not the wild, bleeding, crazy, dissonant energy songs, you know? And so uh, it leaves me feeling a bit like, I'm glad I heard it, but am I going to listen to it a lot? Probably not. Um, I feel like maybe the producer of the first couple releases, I, uh, Eli Janney, I think their name is, uh, maybe they played a big part in it, or the guitarist that joined after the first release, John Schmerzel, I believe is how you say it, uh, who went on to form Enon. Um, I think maybe added a lot of those uh, arrangement and instrumentation ideas too, because you hear a lot of that in Enon. So yeah, I, I guess I kind of came away from it, like I said, feeling like I'm glad I heard it. It feels more like a release for those sort of fans that want to be completists, that want to have everything that they recorded. But if you're a fan of Brainiac, there's absolutely no reason not to listen to this and imagine what these songs would have been and could have been. And also, if you're a fan of Brainiac, don't listen to me anyway. Like, just listen to the EP, you know? I don't know. I wish I could say it was amazing and it blew my mind, but 
it was more so like, wow, I wish I, I wish I could have heard these songs completed. So what'd you think, Dan? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you, Eric. Um, so I also am a huge Brainiac fan. I don't remember when I first heard them, but it was long after uh, Tim's death, mm-hmm. um, probably in the early 2000s. And it was on a um, compilation cassette that a friend of both of ours, Noah Kester, made mm-hmm. um, for me. And what Brainiac represents to me is sort of this new thing that I was discovering long after it happened, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which as you mentioned, Eric was sort of these nineties bands that were incorporating synthesizers into their music or just playing really abrasive music that didn't have any connection to like metal or, you know, Mm -hmm. the guitars were oftentimes very staccato and repetitive maybe repeating like one note Mm -hmm. and you know the bands that i can think of that sort of reminded me of this were like six finger satellite was Mm -hmm. a huge one uh men's recovery project to a certain extent um i would also say even i would throw in shellac Mm -hmm. into that sort of thing and then later on maybe bands like the liars Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even stuff like um to a, to a certain extent, lightning bolt, but Brainiac was always always stood out to me because they didn't seem like while they kind of fit into that sort of crop, that sort of scene of bands, they totally had their own thing going on. As you mentioned, Eric, their music was almost like I don't know. It was it was almost like deconstructed noise pop or something. Mm-hmm. It was just just really crazy. And like, you know, um, Electroshock for President was the last EP that they put out. Mm-hmm. You know, just all the uh, Bonsai Superstar, which is an album that I love. And I can't mm-hmm. remember the album that was between those two. Uh, Hissing Prigs and Static Culture. Yeah, or something Hissing like that. Prigs and Static Kuchar, Kuchar. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. how to pronounce that's it. That's my favorite anyway, one. Yeah. That's my Amazing. favorite one, too. Yeah. I think that one is like exactly if you're going to introduce somebody to Brainiac, um, mm-hmm. just give them the record to listen to and don't say anything else. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to be, a, I wouldn't be able to do justice with words. Right. So, yeah, that's what Brainiac was. And the name of that uh, documentary, and I actually just, it's it's funny because before you even pick this as your pick, Eric, mm-hmm. I think like literally like five days before mm-hmm. you said that the new Brainiac EP was your pick. Mm-hmm. I actually watched this on 2B TV. Oh, nice. Uh, and so the name of the documentary is Transmissions After Zero. Oh, yeah. Um, watching the documentary, that might even be the place to start, honestly. Yeah. Because if I had never heard Brainiac, I know that I would have been like, okay, I need to go and, you know, check this band out. Mm -hmm. You know, it made me gain even a higher level of respect for what, for like Tim's vision. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so yeah, this EP is, um, it's a very interesting document of, to me, it just sounds like skeletal ideas of songs. You can definitely tell they're demos, no doubt Mm -hmm. about it. But like you said, Eric, I think that you can kind of get a glimpse of where they were heading. And it, it, one of the things that I liked about this EP was that it really made me think about 
where Brainiac would have ended up mm-hmm. with a major label, with their major label debut. Because like you said, these songs kind of sounded a little slower and less maniacal than some mm-hmm. of their earlier songs. So it did kind of make me wonder, were they kind of, because they were on a major label, were they kind of looking to write singles? Because they're these songs were definitely like, I think mostly incomplete, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it definitely um, had that element to it, but I could hear like something developing. And I think we would have been surprised of, of where Brainiac was heading. And so that's the thing I liked about it was just sort of how this left the imagination open a little bit, you Mm know? Um, I think they would have continued way more on the electronic path of electroshock for president. Mm-hmm. I think listening to this, that's more than obvious, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it was fun to kind of just think about where this band would have ended up and how they would, how they would fit in to culture now. And I think mm-hmm. watching the documentary, it's pretty amazing how much they did influence. I think, mm-hmm. I think Brainiac were ahead of their time. And I think that, um, I don't know, it's maybe possible that we wouldn't have like a, like an at the drive-in or, or a blood Mm -hmm. brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. had they not heard Brainiac, you know? And, um, it's another case of a band that accomplished, I think a lot in a very short amount of time. So, but yes, the amazing discography they left behind, I would recommend Mm -hmm. checking out all of it. So that all being said, um, yeah, this is, I think this is. Uh, you know, it's a release for hardcore fans, mm-hmm. you know, people who just kind of want to hear or have just been thinking about, well, what would have happened, you know, mm-hmm. if Brainiac would have been able to stay together, you know? Yeah. That's definitely what this is. So it, that's neither here or there. It's very interesting sounds, but, um, and uh, it's interesting to hear the skeletal development of, or at least what I think are, you know, the, the skeletal development of some songs Mm -hmm. that they were working on, but, um, yeah, yeah. Hardcore fans only, I would say. Yeah. So that, that being said, I really enjoyed it, but I'm also a huge Brainiac fan. So yeah, 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 it was, it was really cool. It was cool. And I'm probably not going to listen to it. It's not going to be on repeat, like all the other Brainiac records are, you know, Mm -hmm. for sure. So moving on to my pick, um, I picked this uh, record from a solo artist called Vex Ruffin. And the name of the record is Light Ace Frequency. And I know Vex Ruffin because he is a Stone's Throw artist, which if you've listened to this podcast, um, many of my favorite hip hop records have been on Stone's Throw, including Mad Villain and also Mm -hmm. the... You, it wasn't a pick of yours, but one of your favorite albums, Automatic, um, from mm-hmm. 2022, Eric, was on Stone's Throw as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of really cool stuff on that label. Baron Zen, we talked about Baron Zen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was on Stone's Throw and a bunch of really great hip hop. I mean, Jay Dilla put out a lot of his stuff on Stone's Throw. And anyway, um, so Vex Ruffin is a. Uh, Filipino artist and uh he has been making music for quite a while he has a few 
records out and his early stuff was kind of it kind of bordered on gloomy dark post-punk sort of Mm. and that is not this record that 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 is not what this record sounds like there are some elements of that here particularly in his voice because his voice hasn't changed too much um from what he was doing on those earlier records but the music is i think a lot different uh so this is it's kind of a a hybrid record that really is it is hard for me to completely define what it is but i do think that it it's very much um a record that has a vision like you can tell that it definitely he was going for something and so vex ruffin does a lot of production and beat making and this album i would say that it's fairly experimental but i also think it's also pretty accessible at the same time so i wouldn't call it avant-garde or anything but i do think there's a lot of and there are elements of avant-garde music here i think to a certain extent, but I just think it's it's kind of just a combination of a lot of things. It has some stuff that resembles everything from dub to reggae to, I would say, even EDM. Uh, definitely a huge disco element on this. And I would also say punk and just rock and roll is pretty present on this record as well. I would definitely say that disco, going back to the disco element, that's pretty heavy, especially on the second half of the record. And also there's a lot of what I would call, for lack of a better way to describe it, world music on here as well, Mm -hmm. world music influences. A lot of sounds from that, which I think is probably pulled from his Filipino upbringing. A lot of synths and drum machines and bass and also real drums. And there's also a really heavy percussive element all over this record too that I really dig. And I also think that at the heart of Vex Ruffin, he is, he does definitely have a B-boy hip hop inspired element to it, which totally makes sense, you know, being on Stone's Throw. Um, You can definitely tell that he does a lot of production and beat making and stuff like that. Funk elements, there's one song in particular, and I can't remember which one it is, uh, that, really reminds me of go-go music which i don't know if you're familiar with go-go music at all eric Uh, Um, i'm not sure so it's a type of music uh that is it started in dc and the only reason why i know about it to be Mm -hmm. honest is because i watched the documentary on the dc hardcore scene called salad days Mm -hmm. and it's a specific type of beat music um funk music from dc and trouble funk i guess kind of is the pioneers of it and it's just got a specific beat like the way that it the way the drum beat flows Mm -hmm. um and you can hear a lot of influence in different hip-hop and stuff like that so i don't know much about it i just know that the specific uh trouble funk um go-go beat there was a song on here that really reminded me of that specific beat so i would Mm. Uh, actually recommend uh if you're into that kind of stuff listening to it because it's 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 some interesting things another interesting thing real quick that i'll throw in here is that trouble funk actually um 
probably one of the most famous and weirdest things about them is they actually played Minor Threat's last show. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, Minor Threat uh, played with this group called the Big Boys and then Trouble Funk. Oh, yeah, Big Boys from Texas? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. they're from Texas. Cool. And Trouble Funk played. And uh, from what I understand, uh, Minor Threat just were not getting along, and they just decided to call it quits after that. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I would also recommend that Salad Days documentary. But anyway, um, I really enjoyed this record. I think one of the things that I really liked about it was it was just fun. To me, it was just fun to listen to. Um, I think it was pretty upbeat, pretty positive, which is quite a bit different than the moods of his previous records, which I would strongly recommend everyone listens to. If you check this record out and you really like it, um, his earlier stuff, I think you would really dig his earlier stuff as well, Eric. Hmm. But it definitely has a different feeling than that. And so that's what I really liked about it. It just, it just really honestly kind of put a smile on my face listening to it. And there are definitely some dark themes on here a little bit, but it definitely didn't hit like his earlier stuff in, in that department for me, just a really fun record to listen to. And um, yeah, I think, I think he was um, kind of going for a more positive thing. As far as things that this reminded me of, I don't know. There's elements of like the bug a little bit, although the bug definitely has a darker sort of industrial thing to it that mm -hmm. this doesn't have um, a little bit. I would say uh, even a little bit of ween on yeah. here. Uh, Bumblebee's 81 reminded me a little bit of that. Um, also, the feeling reminded me a lot of that Len record. Yeah. What's it called? Uh you can't stop the can't, bum rush. Yeah. Yeah. And then also Baron's in, honestly, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> cause there's definitely sort of an outsider element to this. Yeah. Not as much as Baron's in, but the production is really good. And Baron's in's production is kind of purposely bedroom low fi mm -hmm. but I do think their voices are kind of similar actually. Mm -hmm. And that's not just because they're on the same label. That's just, um, I do think that there are similarities. Um, but yeah, overall this, this is just, this was just a fun record I thought, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, what'd you think, Eric? Yeah, it's funny. It's always funny to go into things blind, like not knowing a, a single thing about the artist or uh, their previous work or their label or anything like that. It always makes it, kind of crazy in, in its own weird way. But yeah, so I agree, obviously, with everything you said, but I, I do think I came from sort of a different angle. And mm -hmm. uh, to hear you say that their previous stuff was kind of gloomy is outrageous to me because this, I would say, I didn't pick up that element hardly at all. There's some yeah. long-form sort of noise, I don't know, atmospheric, pieces that that sounds like ambient music but no i mean it's really funky but those parts of it can sometimes get a to a level of strangeness that could be heard as dark you know but i didn't even really pick that up it was more just like uh, i just heard this whole thing as like super fun goofy really light feeling but like i said strange enough to get sort of dark I don't know how to explain that any further than that, I guess. But yeah, lots of synthesizers, cool, cool synthesizers, like really out there 
and really retro feeling um really funky drum machines with some real drums too but everything has this weird element to it really strange samples that are rooted in it almost seemed like 70s yeah like 70s funk sort of um but not like the good stuff like the stuff on television i don't know like i remember when i was a kid like the variety shows would always you know like solid gold or i don't even know what crap was on but it was always just this like funky music and it, it this that that's what this reminds me uh the vocals are pretty straightforward but get kind of weird too or, or take different sort of angles or personas or whatever i found parts of it to be like strangely pretty at times and some of the things that happened but also very dissonant sometimes like very dissonant uh to the point of like almost i don't know there's one song in particular it's called i'm going hard <laughs> yeah which is a great hilarious fun song but the drums the tempo slows and speeds up mm -hmm. like not even consistently but throughout the whole song and seriously it kind of makes you sick but yeah it, it's really cool and it does add to that kind of outsider feeling of the whole thing it's just like really strange and the things that it reminded me of obviously will reinforce how i heard the record um beck for mm -hmm. sure but like all the eras of beck like midnight vultures era and even into some like mellow gold Nodelay or whatever like mm -hmm. there's elements of all those things I, and even like sea change to be honest like the yep. slower songs so i picked up on that a lot too but also with the synths and the way things are presented and how things move really reminded me of bruce hack which is weird oh um, yeah that that makes a lot of sense and uh, uh also how the songs really don't vary a lot and Again, with just the sounds that are used, it remind me of uh, William Onya Bar. Do you know that guy? Mm -mm. Okay. Mm -mm. Well, the last name is O N Y E A B O R. So, however you want to say that. Mm. Um, but then uh, Jack Stauber. I don't know if you watch his videos or listen to his music at all. It's really dark, strange, goofy stuff, and that sort no. of reminded me of that. But then the the sort of funky retro commitment part of it sort of reminded me of like i don't even know some stuff that was out in the 90s like more chiba or whatever oh, sure and just that commitment to um retro ism you know mm -hmm. but yeah so i came away from a feeling like this is really fun funky goofy outsider music and so to i i am excited to go back and listen to the other stuff because mm -hmm. i can't really imagine it being not this so that's kind of exciting but yeah anyway if you want to have fun this is one of the most fun things i it, i use the uh descriptor of fun on nearly every review i give it, mm -hmm. it, it's annoying but <laughs> i mean it this time this is super fun sure so yeah yeah absolutely so our local pick for this episode is from a band called phantom threat this is a um six song ep and phantom threat are a hardcore metal band based out of i think muscatine for the most part but mm. 
I don't know. There might be some um, other members not in Muscatine. Nonetheless, it is uh, made up of uh, a couple of members that I know, uh, which is uh, Zach Tomfeld on vocals and Chris Winkle on bass. This Phantom Threat stuff, I think, is honestly, and I, I, I will say this is some of the best metalcore I've heard in a while. And I think part of it is because it sort of speaks to the type of metalcore that I like, which is to say that it really reminds me of a time and an era in sort of metalcore or hardcore metal, or some people just like to call it hardcore. Some people just like to call it metal. I really, I don't know at this point. I sort of think genre labels are sort of almost pointless at this point anyway, but some of the heavier music that came out of the underground uh, metal hardcore scene in the late nineties and early two thousands. That being said, I also don't think this is a throwback in any way whatsoever. I think that this is um, just really, really good structure and really good songwriting in this genre for sure. And I think it's really, really well done. It's heavy and intense, never lets up from the get go. It pretty much just pulls you in and just sort of beats you over the head for, you know, five or six songs. Um, and it's just, um, it's pretty dynamic. I would say that some of the guitars resemble thrash, um, and even at times slightly black metal, but I think mostly it's rooted in sort of metalcore. I don't want to say it's it's not really the chugga chugga style metalcore either. Um, it kind of reminds me of like early Himza and um, stuff like that a little bit. I think the bass and drumming and the vocals are completely on point. One thing about it is the performance is stellar. You can really tell that these guys have been uh, practicing their stuff and their craft. And it doesn't surprise me because I know that Chris Winkle is a really good player. I just think I, everything's great. This was uh, recorded by... Luke Tweedy, Flat Black Studios, who I think really brought out the sound of what a band like this would be looking for. Just absolutely fantastic. And honestly, I can't really say much more than, you know, some of the stuff that this reminds me of. Um, if I had to think of some reference points, I would point to like early Cave-In for sure. Um, now I know that um, the album that we reviewed a while back, Until Your Heart Stops, was maybe more uh, thrash inspired, but the first, it's not their official first album, but it's a compilation of early singles called Beyond Hypothermia, I think um, would be the record that I would more reference to this than like Until Your Heart Stops. But Caven's a band that has changed their sound so many times that when you say Caven, I almost feel like you have to specify what era of Caven you're talking about. But also I would say a little bit of like Black Dial of Murder. I would say a little bit of Converge. Some of it reminds me a little bit of Darkest Hour at times. Poison the Well, uh, maybe even some elements of something like Mastodon 
And like I said, the first Himza record called Groundbreaking Ceremony from a long time ago definitely reminded me of some of that. Definitely um, a little bit of a hardcore vibe, a lot of metal stuff going on for sure. Um, yeah, and these guys are really getting out there. I see they're, uh, they're getting on some shows. They, I mean, from the beginning, these guys have been promoting the hell out of themselves. And so that's been really, um, really cool to see. And it's kind of been a minute since there's really been like, uh, you know, a band from Muscatine, uh, you know, I mean, there's definitely been a few, but I mean, within the last like year or so, it's kind of becoming more rare. We do have Eugene Levy, who's definitely doing some stuff. Uh, two members of Closet Witch live here. and But other than that, I mean, there there really hasn't been much of a scene in Muscatine. So it is kind of exciting to see that sort of happen. And like I said, I'm not even 100% sure if, there's, if they all live in Muscatine now. But I'm pretty sure that at least one of their members uh, probably do. In any situation, if you're into uh, that style of metalcore, uh, I see no reason why you wouldn't love this. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, I was um, pretty blown away by this, actually. It's really, it's really good, like legit good. Like, I don't know. I don't know how else to say that, but I think this is undeniably good on every level. You know, like, I think if you're into this kind of music, this is just amazing, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. It's heavy as hell. And, you know, I didn't, I don't really have a background in, like, metalcore stuff. Like, all the bands that you named, I know one or two of them, maybe, you know. Mm -hmm. But what I enjoyed about this was the sort of like old school thrash element because it is there and it's there mm -hmm. perfectly and like it, it's done just so well um there's other elements too that i hear in there like black metal um and some metalcore like what i'm familiar with the performances are stellar every instrument is doing exactly what it should be doing at all times and just nailing it you know, in metal, a lot of times the bass gets lost. Not at all here. The shit is like thundering. And the drums, I feel like, do some really uh, inventive things that you wouldn't expect. Um, the guitars are just crushing. Uh, and the vocals are just so cool. They're like insane. They're just really high and really wild. And when you think there's no way it could get more intense. It's like there's the next gear and they go into it. But yeah, it's just brutal and energetic through and through energetic. I don't feel like it's gloomy. I don't feel like it's um, depressing. I just feel like it's aggressive really in your face. Um, the intensity of it, you know, I haven't heard a lot of stuff that can match this intensity. Like it's just, just brutal. But yeah, I, I, I can't say much more about it either. The production is really great. You know, I think that every element of it, it might be, the, this is going to sound weird, but it might be, in my opinion, the best thing I've heard come out of Flat Black. Like, it's just really nails exactly what it's trying to do. It's really great. But yeah, like I said, most of the things I'm going to compare it to aren't really going to be 
probably even applicable. <laughs> you know, they're not obviously not going to be accurate, but it's just how I heard it. So the thing I liked the most about it is it had this really cool old school thrash element to it, which is the mid tempo thrash, which usually happens in old school thrash, sort of in intros and things like that, because then they go into the just standard, you know, speed metal elements. And mm -hmm. then they'll have like a screaming ass guitar solo and stuff. This sort of, this foregoes all that, but keeps that mid tempo brutality. Uh, so especially reminded me of um, South of Heaven. To me, that is sort of the pinnacle of sort of that mid-tempo thrash, where it's just like, if you slow it down just enough, you, you actually get a little more brutality and aggression out of it. And, I, and that's how this feels. A lot like Creator, actually, musically for me. And Creator is one of my favorite thrash groups. Uh, sort of the breakdowns of Possessed, um, I really have always enjoyed Possessed's way of taking a song to another level or a different place. Um, and a lot of black early black metal and thrash and stuff sort of didn't do that. They were just like, well, put another guitar solo in, you know? And then as far as vocally, I didn't have a lot to compare it to. I know that uh, like Converge, I would say, is, is similar. But yeah, I was blown away by the vocals. I don't know. I mean, I... It's really glossy. It's really, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's very real. It, it It's fully realized and presented in a way where there's zero doubt that this is perfection for this group. And I don't know. I don't know what else I can really say about it. It, it really yeah. blew me away. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was completely blown away too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the future of this group and uh also just catching them live sometime they've definitely yeah, been out and sure. about and so mm -hmm. i'm gonna need to check this out it's it's really cool stuff and so uh the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to kind of start doing some singles or just kind of song reviews because we noticed that there's a lot of artists that we can cover on this show that don't really have full albums or full projects. Uh, I know we've done some EPs and stuff like that. And we're going to start with this group um, called Pardon Factory. And they're from Edinburgh, UK. And um, so they reached out to us to let us know about this song that they put out. The name of this track that they have, and as far as I can tell, uh, it's the only track they have out on Bandcamp as of right now, is called One Without the Other. Eric and I both uh, took a listen to this track that they sent us. And um, for me, I was super impressed with this. This is really good, I would say, just really good acoustic, I don't want to say pop music, but it was pretty catchy to me. It, it had, um, you know, some elements of, I guess you could say, UK... I guess you, you, UK pop. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, there's kind of an element of that sort of, but really good acoustic alternative rock stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The lyrics seem to be really, really cool. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more from this group. And uh, you know, if they do end up 
putting out like a full release or even if they put out more singles and stuff like that uh we'll definitely be following them for sure good stuff if you're really into like acoustic alternative type stuff uh check them out for sure uh what did you think eric yeah um i i liked it a lot too and i would not shy away from calling it pop i mean it is very catchy so i think that um there's a big British invasion feel to this too. British think, invasion. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. I think that you could find modern examples of it. Yeah. But that was the biggest thing for me. And it comes off as just jangly rock and roll pop, very sixties feel for me. Um, mm-hmm. It has kind of a discordant sort of feel to it though, because they use half step chord changes in the verses, which usually are sort of like, for lack of a better word, kind of gross when someone moves a half step, half step or whatever. Um, and, but this works really well. It actually is super catchy, poppy. That sort of discordant element of it is reinforced by a, a really uh, sort of out-of-key organ, which is cool. Uh, like I said, this to me is very British Invasion feeling. So there's Basically, the instrumentation feels like probably an electric guitar, an acoustic guitar, bass, drums, and uh, some kind of combo organ, not a B3, but like a Barfisa or something like that. Um, But yeah, it's cool and really, really catchy. Um, There's a cool thing that happens at the end of the song. I won't ruin that. But um, yeah, a cool feel overall. So, (laughs) I mean... As far as modern things, I don't know, broadcast maybe because of the organ. Hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe elements of some like Elephant Six or whatever, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. Um, but really, it sounded more like Herman's Hermits or The Who, especially The Who, early Who, and uh, maybe some Sid Barrett, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear more from this group. Uh, one song really kind of isn't enough, which... Yeah. is exactly how you want people to feel. So I think it's great. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah, absolutely fantastic. And so that just brought up a whole other question in my mind. For some reason, in my mind, I associate the word pop mm-hmm. with bad connotations, and there really is no reason to do that. Hmm. So, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have no problem. And I don't know why that is. So I guess my question to you, Eric, is why do you think that would be? Well, what, I think what it, is wrong with pop music? Well, I think it comes from our our generation, the age that we are. Like the way we grew up was like pop music is Spice Girls. Pop music right. is Michael Jackson. Nothing wrong with Michael Jack. Oh, I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with Michael Jackson's music or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that um like the term pop sort of from pretty much the early 80s through now i guess means throw away disposable crappy music and yeah. maybe it's always meant that but through the lens of nostalgia or retrospection or whatever we see them differently but for mm-hmm. sure in the 60s pop music to me meant popular music what's popular yeah. what 
what's on the radio. So the Stones were, I mean, they are rock and roll, but they were also pop music. Uh, but then, you know, Herman's Hermits is a great example of pop music. Like the Beatles were pop music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and even into the 70s, I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, we started to get into some genre classifications or whatever, like glam, but T-Rex, David Bowie, that stuff is pop music. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure. And so I think the reason that we probably have a negative connotation is because of the era that we grew up. And to be honest, those sort of genre classifications and the, the splintering of music sort of made pop music the the shitty easily accessible genre of music you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. the more other genres we have the more that pop the idea of what is pop music gets synthesized into and condensed into something quite different it's britney spears Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying uh because we have you know a thousand other genres that are cooler or more underground or less accessible or whatever. And so I think to me that, that seems like the reason is, yeah, you know, honestly, I think about this a lot, like in the sixties, you only had like 15 bands to choose from in the world. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, well, I guess, you know, record stores, I don't even, I can't even imagine it was just singles, you know? Right. Right. And so now that we have, I don't know, 10,000 new bands a day. It's like those things aren't going to be popular. They're not right. going to be the things on the radio. So right. th- that makes a huge difference as well. So, you know, I just thought of an idea, Eric. <laughs> you sound excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I don't know why. I was trying to get away with, I was trying to speak without yawning, but I have an idea. Okay. I just came up with an idea. Mm-hmm. Anytime that we want to shit on, okay, not not shit on music, but if we want to say, well, I don't want to call it pop music. Uh-huh. We should just replace whatever word has the connotation with Chuck. So I don't want to call oh. it Chuck music. Yeah, right. I don't want to call this pop Chuck. <laughs> pop Chuck. All right. As always, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Subscribe on the things. Also, the YouTube channel is going to have the episodes on it now and the old episodes and also where you can find bonus content. The bonus from last episode is uh, us talking to Brooks about They Might Be Giants. Uh, It's pretty good. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get a hold of us and interact with us, and you should do it because we like it when we hear from you. Because we, I mean, we love you. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Absolutely not. And yes, (laughs) we, 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 we love you. Oh gosh. Group hug, group hug. Come on, over here, over here, listeners. Group hug. All right, smile. But if you, you know, if you're not comfortable hugging, that's okay too. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah, no, no, you can just. Absolutely. You guys have a good week. Bye. Huge 
feeling of sadness and anger. Okay. Huge feeling of sadness and anger. 